0: well folks if you were here last week you will know that we launched a new series here at church and uh, we're going to be working through the the first nine chapters of the of the gospel of luke between now and the end of november um, again, if you were here or you picked up the, the um, midweek email, you'll know that we have produced a little reading plan for you to be reading at home along with the series itself. I've printed out paper copies of these today, so if you want to read along with the series, then do so. Grab that there, and um, yeah, read along. So our, our first uh, portion is going to be from Luke chapter one, and we're going to take on verses one through to verse. Thirty-eight. I also have a little sales pitch to do as well. Again, referencing back to last week, I said that we're going to be using this particular book as the textbook for the series. So if you wanted to do a little bit of homework, then um, I recommend that you get that book. And read along. You'll get them online on online sellers like Amazon and lots like them. But I have five copies here today, and they're available for ten pounds. My friend Mark, Mark, perhaps you could maybe just stand up, flaunt your wares. Um, Mark is going to be in the <laughs> Mark's going to be in the foyer afterwards, just across there where the the bookcases are. So if you want to purchase a copy today, you can do so for. £10 are by bank transfer um, if you don't have cash on you. There's the sales pitch. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you would turn to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read from verses 1 through to 38. We're not going to be putting the words up on the screen throughout this series because I'm encouraging you to get Bibles in your hands. If you don't have a Bible, um, you probably have a phone, so feel free to get your phone out. You think when you come to church, the, the preacher's going to tell you, put your phones away. I'm not going to tell you to put your phones away. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab your phones, type into a, um, a Google search. If you don't already have a Bible app, Luke 1, 1 through to 38, or Luke just, just Luke 1 will do. That will bring it up on your screen, and we're going to read along, pausing as we do to just take... A little bit of interest and make a few notes on what Luke is telling us in this the first chapter of his gospel so that's Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through to 38 and we're reading from the NIV many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. What we have here is eyewitness accounts of what happened when Jesus came amongst us, okay? With this in mind, Luke says, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Let's just pause there for for a moment. Um, Luke is both a doctor and the church's first historian. Well, he's already mentioned a a number of names, but the, the first name I want to stop and give a little bit of attention to is this name here, Herod, King of Judea. This is really quite an impactful reference that that Luke has made that's actually gone on to shape our very calendars. Luke helpfully in referencing the reign of Herod of Judea gives us an idea of where, of when Jesus was born. In fact, our, our, our modern Western calendars date back to Luke's references. Unbeknownst to Luke, I bet that he has no idea that he is making quite a a, a seismic um, reference in referencing Herod. Of course, Luke doesn't have calendar references in mind. He doesn't know that there's such a thing as BC and AD at this point. His point isn't about a, a time and place. Though he helpfully locates and roots the birth of Jesus for us. Luke, in mentioning Herod here at the very, very beginning, is making another point entirely. You see, this gospel, this gospel of Luke, is a story that's primarily about God. It's about God's movement and his involvement in human affairs. So it's not surprising that we get a reference to politicians and governors and other sorts of people in Luke's writing. But I think that the mention of Herod here at the very, very beginning alerts us to change that is coming. Of course, history tells us that Herod was a horrible, horrible man, and his sons were no better. In fact, as we read through Luke's writings, This will not be the first mention we get of a Herod, okay? There's lots of Herods that we read about. They're all related. They're not all the same people. But Luke is telling his readers already that God is staring the waters. And when God stares the waters, that always means good news for some. And for Luke and in his gospel, that will be an emphasis upon the good news for the poor, But good news for some quite often leads to bad news for others. And already, Herod's cards are marked. Unrighteous rulers like Herod, well, the gospel of Jesus Christ is bad news for people like that. Now, not that being a king is wrong in and of itself. In fact, Scripture makes a remarkable claim about human beings. It says that human beings were created to reign and rule over creation as God's royal representatives. Scripture has a a royal view of human beings. As people who carry the image of God, we are tasked with reigning and ruling over creation. The question is this, not whether or not we will be kings and queens, princes and princesses, The bigger question and the more important question is, what type of kings and queens, princes and princesses will we be? And Luke's already setting this up as um, two diametrically opposed ways of ruling. Herod, on one hand, cruel, despotic, power-hungry. But there's a new king who's about to step onto the stage king jesus who reigns in an entirely different way than herod now we probably don't relate too much to royalty but it is the word that scripture speaks over us and you and i actually do have god given power and position in our life where we reign and rule that may be in your own home that may be in your own place of work it may be amongst your own community and your relationships at large. But the same question is posed. Will we follow the way of Herod, or will we follow the way of Jesus? Force, coercion, intimidation on one hand, self-giving love and sacrifice on the other. But for now, time is being called on Herod and his descendants god is stirring the waters and he's saying the time is up and within 70 years of this reference their reign will be no more so let's move on we've thought a little bit about herod king of judea but we pick up the reading again at verse five in the time of herod king of judea there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of abijah his wife elizabeth To the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Pick up on the little details there, by the way. I love this about Luke. He records for us the fact that the angel appeared on the right-hand side of the altar. This is all the marks of biography, you may. You may read these accounts and think that they're hocus-pocus, But these people who are reporting are reporting on things that they believe to be truthful. And the little coincidental details, well, Luke picks them out beautifully. But what does Zechariah do? Well, Zechariah asked the angel, as you and I might do as well if you were Zechariah's age, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. People many, many years ago, they're not stupid. We sometimes suffer from chronological snobbery. They knew that when you got into your old age, you weren't going to have children. Yet there is an upending in the story. God is stirring the waters. The angel said to him, and I think that he's a little bit uncharitable towards Zechariah here, but he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time poor Zechariah he should have kept his mouth shut many men in this congregation know that quite often it's better to keep their mouths shut but he is struck dumb meanwhile the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple when he came out he could not speak to them they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Let, let's, let's pause there again and, and think of this couple, the appearance of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Coincidentally, the only uh, appearance that they make in the Gospels is in Luke's Gospel. That probably is instructive for us to, to think about at another time. But let's think about this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Many things that could be said about their appearance but if you've been reading along um, with our textbook for the series you will have seen the point that tom wright makes in the accompanying reading he, he says this this is a story about jesus that looks about to tell but it doesn't begin with jesus think about that for a second this gospel is a story about jesus but it doesn't begin with Jesus. Jesus' name doesn't even appear until verse 31 in the first chapter. Rather, it begins with this devout couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're going about their everyday lives, doing the stuff that their lives entail and involve. And most poignantly, I think, in their case, they're quietly nursing the pain of childlessness And we are alerted to this pain in their life. Luke is getting ready to tell us about another extraordinary pregnancy and Jesus' extraordinary birth. All that will come. But before he does so, he attentively draws our hearts and our thoughts to another couple who it would be very, very easy to overlook. He brings our hearts, he brings our attention, our affection towards Zechariah and Elizabeth and to their very human drama. Now, I think there's significance in this, both for Elizabeth and Zechariah, but also for the gospel of Luke for a whole. Because as we read on through, and we will continue to read through, we see again and again, Luke will tell us that Jesus has come for the last and the least. That Jesus has come particularly for the poor and the forgotten, the marginalized, those who are pushed to the edges. And Luke especially will say that there is a special place in the kingdom for women and children especially. And it's lovely that this particular passage has coincided with a dedication. It is right that churches make a little bit of a, a fuss about mums and dads and children. And so it is unsurprising that Luke's account, well, that it begins here. Now, of course, Luke has set up the literature in a certain way to draw our minds to it. But his literary preference is, I think, simply a reflection of the God who stands behind the text. The shaping of the text itself is designed really to draw our hearts to God's heart and God's heart for the poor, the last, the least, for women and children. The book itself reveals to us a God who is attentive to pain and hurt and distress, a God to whom nothing is incidental. The details matter. And let's see how this works itself out in the text itself. So we could turn to verse 13 and um, I love this here. The angel appears to Zechariah and he instructs him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now we look in the text itself and actually no prayer of Zechariah is offered. We don't see or hear Zechariah praying there's no prayer recorded for us. What prayer is the angel referring to? Of course, Zechariah's unrecorded prayer is a prayer for a child. Of course we know that. We don't in a way need to be told that. Your prayer has been heard. Now, I imagine that Zechariah, we're told, along with his wife Elizabeth, is old in years. They know that they have gone past the point where bearing a child is possible. I would imagine that actually it has been years since they've even offered those prayers for a child. The time has passed, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but God in his, well, in his particular sense of style and last minute fashion has decided to answer that prayer after all. And I love this here because even those, those prayers were offered years ago, forgotten maybe by Zechariah and Elizabeth, not forgotten by God. Those prayers didn't fail to get his attention. Your wife, Elizabeth, well, she's going to bear a son, and you're to give him the name John. God is attentive to the deepest, most intimate, and most painful things in our Lives. Zechariah's prayer did not go unheard. Neither do ours. But the story goes on. The old man is literally dumbstruck. And Luke tells us in a, in a, in a little bit of a, an understated way: Zechariah returned home. After he had done his work, he returned home. Now I just have this picture of, of Zechariah not just returning home in a, you know, laid-back fashion. If I'm Zechariah, I'm running home <laughs> for any number of reasons that we don't need to get into today. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. <laughs> I need to rush past this bit because I've got a couple of jokes there that I could insert, but we imagine this man who struck dumb with a huge big smile on his face, because who wouldn't be smiling if you weren't in Zechariah's position? But what of Elizabeth. Well, I love the fact that we have an insertion from Elizabeth herself. Luke has taken the time to track down either Elizabeth or, or somebody who remembers her, her story. Luke takes the time to capture Elizabeth's response. And again, I love the detail. After becoming pregnant, she goes into seclusion, we're told, for five months. That's quite a precise detail of Luke, isn't it? Not four months, not six months, but five months. I don't know why five months, why not four, why not six. But I love the insertion of this detail. And, and I could only imagine, and, and, and women, you will, you will resonate with this, I'm sure. But the joy and the fear that this elderly woman must have been experiencing. Because I can imagine that must just be a real mixture of joy and fear. I'm pregnant. This shouldn't be happening. (laughs) The joy and the fear of this elderly woman, well, it's included in Holy Scripture for us. Because that detail itself matters as well. I think that that's a joyous thing. And this is what Elizabeth said The Lord has done this for me. In these days, He has taken away my disgrace among the people the Lord has done this for me many of us well we can say those words as well now it mightn't be because you've fallen pregnant in your old age after not being able to conceive a child i have to say when i was writing this sermon i had you dennis and elaine in mind can you imagine you guys coming into our church at your stage in life, like what would we be doing? In all seriousness, can you imagine? Sorry to single you guys out, but what, what would our response be? Can you imagine the dedication ceremony if Dennis and Elaine were up here with a newborn? <laughs> that would make the Banbury guardian, no doubt, no doubt about it, <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> but Elizabeth says, The Lord has done this for me, He's taken away my disgrace at a time when it was a disgrace to be without a child that seems harsh and cruel but that was the truth of her situation but many of us we can take those words and we can make that a prayer of our own the lord has done this for me he stepped into the pain and the disgrace of elizabeth and and transformed it in a miraculous way and I will say this here from personal experience, but I know that it is something that we as a community share. There is deep, deep joy when we experience God doing something for me. The Lord has done this for me. He, he, he blesses us in the, in the most general sense. The rain falls and the wicked and the righteous alike. There are common blessings that we are all pulled up into. Daily bread, safety and security for many people on the planet, actually. But the Lord, quite often at times of crisis, turns and he does something for you and I. <laughs> That alerts us to the fact that he is mindful of the details of our lives i know that in my own life a number of times that i can count on one hand it has to be said where undeniably the lord has done something for me meeting me in the midst of broken marriage and divorce he stepped into the disarray of my life and made provision for me. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. At a time facing the, the fear and the threat of redundancy, <laughs> leading me into alternative employment, I know that he'd done that for me <laughs> because he was mindful of my plight. <laughs> and I'm not the special one. <laughs> That's what he has done for, for us. The Lord has done this for me. And as I read through the first portion of our reading of Luke's gospel, that just stood out to me. Luke's attention to Elizabeth, her joy, her fear, the details that are included, and her response, the Lord has done this for me. I'm going to invite the, the band just to, to lead us in our, in our closing song. But perhaps there, there was a time in, in your life where you are mindful that the Lord has done something for you. Then our response to this text, in a, in a sense... A miraculous and a wondrous text, though it is. A text about God working in the grand, grand scale of human affairs. When our God works to correct the grand scheme, he also puts back together the little things. The things that might seem not to matter. This text tells us they do. And again, as the band just began to play... Perhaps you can hold those things in your, in your own heart, the things that you just need to remind yourself that the Lord has done this for me. But we, in these moments, we, we bring them to mind. Not that we're called to always live in those times and spaces, but they remind us of a God who is with us, alive to the details of our life. It reminds us of a God who is more than willing and able to step into the sometimes disarray that we find ourselves in. The God who hears all our prayers, even the ones we have given up on. And so Lord, in these moments, we simply want to say with Elizabeth, the Lord has done this for me, we offer you our thanksgiving and our heartfelt praise in these moments. Lord, receive that which we bring to you and receive it, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, Amen.